Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Babu's Frickin' Podcast. It's Star Wars Sunday. We are coming at you live and in person here on the YouTubes in our galaxy far, far away. My name is Mike Chiotti Ruby, and as always, I'm joined by Grand Moff Mark Valentine. Mark, what do you bring as tribute to this podcast? I bring advice. You should go to the bar, talk to the Twi'lek from Flashdance. She has the news that you're searching for. Outstanding <laughs> advice. Well heeded. Unfortunately, no Brian Porkins Lee this week. The rule of two returns. It's just us, dude. Yeah, always two there are. A master and apprentice. Only a master of evil, Darth. <laughs> but which one is which? Uh, so it's just us diving deep into Star Wars and the Book of Boba Fett, Episode 2, The Tribes of Tatooine. So, Mark, let me just start off by saying I loved everything about this episode. For me, the second half was some of the best Star Wars maybe ever. It was fun. It was funny. It was action-filled. It was clever. It revealed new mythology. It was rooted in ancient lore. Let's just get right into it. What do you think? So I said this on, so I hang out with the guys over at the Florida Park Explorers Network. You can see Crew It Up is here. He's one of the fellow uh, Galactic Council members. And I made the statement on that show that this episode, The Tribes of Tatooine, is some of the best Star Wars that we have ever gotten, bar none. Uh, I love the mythos of it. We're going to get into and talk about the train sequence. But for the doubters and the people that were really thinking that this series wasn't going to provide any kind of action... Man, they were, um, you know, they were they were proved wrong in this episode. It was really great. We got some really cool surprises. Uh, Star Wars Legends came to screen, and we had some people that became canon in this episode. Uh, we got introduced to crime families. We have a lot of speculation. There's a lot on the horizon, and I'm all in. You you know, the two of us were all in from episode one, um, but. You know, there's been some mixed reviews. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on in that in the episode as well. Uh, but you and I are decidedly in on the Book of Boba Fett, but we're huge Robert Rodriguez fans. Uh, we're huge John Favreau fans. He's so money, and he doesn't even know it. He's so money, and he doesn't even know it. And, you know, I, the thing that, that I, I've learned is always never to doubt Star Wars. They, 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 they trust in Favreau, trust in Filoni, trust in Rodriguez now as he's yeah. doing the triumvirate. You know, it's funny last week you and Brian and I were saying, you know, the flashbacks were great, but it would be great to spend more time in the, the quote unquote present day of Mando. Yeah. And the flashback sequence, which took up more than half the episode was, was riveting. It was just, it was just like we've both been saying, it was just some of the best action and mythology that we've gotten from star Wars and even though it was a flashback, it was new mythology and new new levels of the Tusken Raiders and their culture and the culture of Tatooine, which we always thought was just this barren wasteland planet in the Outer Rim. And it turns out there's an incredible history and an incredible uh, kind of socioeconomic yeah, uh, just the, you know, the narrative that's underneath all of it that none of us have ever seen. We've always just seen this is a poor planet. There was slavery on it back in, you know, back in the Phantom Menace. Yeah. It's it's where the the scourge of the galaxy go by the time we hit episode 4, but there's some really deep-rooted stuff going on there in terms of why the sand people who we thought were just savages, there's much more there. We're getting a bit of a, you know, Lawrence of Arabia, you know, uh, a bit of a Ten Commandments, a bit of Dances with Wolves with Boba Fett hanging with the Tuscan tribes. And we're starting to see that, you know, we like the people in that universe should not be uh, we shouldn't judge a book by its uh, by its gaffy stick. No, absolutely. A lot of world building in the show. Like you said, there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of humanizing of the of the Tuscan Raiders that we didn't really get much. Even even their kidnapping of Shmi they were presented as savages. They, they were like subhuman. They weren't, they weren't real people. And so these last two episodes we've seen, we've gotten to see in their social hierarchy. Um, they, they've been humanized that we can see that like, that they have struggles, that they are misunderstood, that they are the indigenous people of Tatooine. Um, we're going to talk about this a little bit. Um, one of the other heavy influences of this episode, you could see Frank Herbert's Dune weighed greatly on this episode as well. And I talked about this again on the Galactic Council. They're the Fremen. They are the Fremen through and through. Their story is very uh, synonymous with the Fremen over on Arrakis. 
in that they uh, they are the people that were there prior to Tatooine becoming a sand planet. They talk about water being on Tatooine, and they have learned to survive and overcome the hardships on Tatooine. And they are obviously the social outcasts, and they are at the, the very bottom of that social hierarchy that exists on the planet. But it was just really good stuff. Just a quick reminder and, and a, a production note of sorts. Thank you to everyone who is watching us live right now on YouTube. We have an active chat that's going up. So wonderful. Thank you to those of you who came. Please, if it's your first time hanging out with us, smash the subscribe button for this Diz Life. We are going to be talking the Book of Boba Fett for all seven episodes on Sunday. It's Star Wars Sunday that we're going to be live at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you like this and you're one of the people that listen to our audio-only podcast and you want a visual medium to go with it as well, for these seven weeks, you're going to get spoiled. You can go to youtube.com slash thisdizlife, D-I-S, and subscribe and see Mike and I and see why we have clearly faces for radio. Yeah, I, I was, I was going to say, I've, I haven't shaved today. I've clearly got the, the Wookiee thing going. <laughs> you're you're black chrysanthemum. I'm black chrysanthemum. I can't wait to talk about black chrysanthemum in a little bit. Um, or or as you uh, you texted me and Brian on the day of the episode, uh, Darth Baca. <laughs> Darth Baca. <laughs> so let's let's get right into it, and we'll start Go at ahead. the top of the episode. Some serious Return of the Jedi vibes. You know, shots that are taken straight out of Return of the Jedi. Um, as uh, as Fennec is leading the assassin back to Jabba's palace. Yeah. Shots that are echoing when the droids are walking up through the desert, when Luke enters. Um, and then, you know, a lot of calls back as they're, they're interrogating the, the assassin who we learn is from the order of the night wind, which um, is made and, up. That was created for this show. That does yeah. not exist. Yep. No brand. The, the, uh, the, the red space ninjas of the order of the night wind. They are a brand new faction that we are learning about. Um, and apparently they are very elite and very expensive. Although as Fennec says, you're paying for the name. Yes. Yeah. Again. Um, so the first five minutes of this episode was the, um, the creator. This was the love letter to the return of the Jedi, uh, the approach shot, even the fall into the rancor pit. Um, the, the camera work and the shots were pulled right from return of the Jedi. They mirrored Luke's descent into the rancor pit, the raising of the rancor pit, um, they are much like the Mandalorian did in its first season. It worked in, in tropes and it worked in inside of medium that influenced the show and influenced John Favreau and Dave Filoni. The show is doing the same. So Robert Rodriguez at all are choosing things that inspired them. And the, the oh, I'm hoping what is the first season of the book of Boba Fett is that just that it's a love letter to the star Wars and to the science fiction and to the cinema that inspired them. Um, really cool, really cool Easter eggs. Uh, we got some Huttese, which is an Easter egg that first appears in the Empire Strikes Back in the form of Ichuta. And that's the only, uh, that's the only Huttese that the uh, member of the Order of the Nightwind speaks. You may remember that phrase when C-3PO is on Cloud City and says hello to the other droid. That's what the other droid responds How is rude. Ichuta, which is, you know, just really nasty stuff. I mean, we would have to. Yeah, I mean, I was talking last week about how the Rodians need to have their, their mouths washed out with soap. The Order of the Nightwind guy is he's 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 in need of a little bit of a back to bath for his tongue after that language. Uh, Brian Porkins Lee just touched down in Hawaii and saying hello. Sorry, I missed the show. Um, understandable, man. You're in Hawaii right now. That 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 is some dedication, though. I mad mad love to the the, the man in Hawaii. <laughs> so have fun. Please yeah. let us know. Make us jealous. Take lots of pictures uh, from the from the Pacific. Man, that's cool stuff. Yeah. So I mean, the other the other great part about the opening, as you mentioned, was dropping the assassin into Jabba's rancor pit. Um, and we all kind of got excited to see, you know, obviously the main rancor from Jedi is dead, but yes. there could be, there could be more rancors down there, you know, and, and, you know, possible. So, um, if you are a fan of star Wars, here's what Mike and I would recommend to you. Um, it was not the greatest series holistically, but there were some episodes of the bad batch, which was the, the brand new animated series that just dropped last year that were really fun, very creative. 
and had some really cool Easter eggs and some cameos. So uh, fun fact, Jabba uh, did not just have one Rancor. He collected many. Um, Rancors are not hard to, are they're very hard to find. They're not indigenous to Tatooine, but in the Bad Batch, he had a Wookiee when it was a baby Wookiee at the time, whose name was Moochie. No, baby Rancor. Baby Rancor, right? So what did I say? Baby what? You said Wookiee. Uh, I said, baby, you're, 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 you're just getting hyped got, to, about black or I have black or on the brain. So, uh, baby, a baby rancor named Moochie, uh, Moochie makes an appearance in the bad batch. The bad batch is canon. So there is a very strong possibility that one of the menagerie is Moochie is another rancor. Now we know Luke killed the rancor. Um, that is not the same rancor from the bad batch, but man, wasn't that just great psychologically that you see the door opening I thought I thought there was another rancor for a I second. I was waiting for another rancor to come out, but you know, there's there's still plenty of time. We still have five more episodes left in the season. Um, and I gotta hand it to you, you know, you and Brian, I doubted it, but you and Brian called it about um the Order of the Nightwind assassins being sent by the mayor. So that's that's where Boba and crew go next. Um, where I, I, I think I think you may have put it best, they uh well, they roll up to the space DMV. Okay, so wait though. So wait, yes, I did say that, but I'm going to, I'm going to say this. I don't think it's the mayor. And I think I was wrong on the surface level. I do think it was the mayor, but I think the mayor murked that, that order of the Nightwind member for a reason to shut him up that he spilled the beans. I really think that the mayor did send them on a technicality under the orders of either the huts or another crime family that has not yet been revealed because it's a very interesting, so here, there's a sentence in there. I watched with the subtitles back on. There's a sentence that says, and I typed to you, it is illegal for the order of the Nightwind to operate outside of hut space. Interesting that he can only, he can only exist inside of hut space. And his transgression is even though he's on a planet, which is supposedly controlled by the twins, he gets shot. I think he got shot because they're trying to shut him up. There is a, there's a vast conspiracy at work, and I do not think that Mok Shaiz is the person that is pulling the string on this. I would be shocked and appalled if that Ithorian has any position or power. He is a, he's a talking piece, and he's a figurehead. So he's, he has, he's an Ithorian without authority. He really, yeah. He, so let us know what you think. Again, we have an active chat right now. Do you think it was the mayor? Do you think there's a conspiracy? Mike keeps calling the series um, the Godfather in space. So we have so many crime families now at play. And uh, we're going to talk about them later, but we got introduced to the Pikes are operating right now, that the Huts are there, that you have this, you know, order of the night wind, that whatever the mayor's contingency is, I still think that the Twi'lek is very, very uh, involved in this somehow. Either she's a pawn. Garza, um, yeah. You will notice that there is a very famous musical interlude during the credits of a crime family that we have not yet been introduced to. And that's one that comes from uh, Solo. Hashtag so, make Solo 2 happen. Hashtag make Solo 2 happen. So I think that there, um, I think that there is a lot more to the story than even Boba and Fennec realize right now. I don't so think I can be redeemed in my, in my, my guess that it's someone off world pulling the strings and trying to get Boba killed. I think so. I really think that that's, I think that that's more of a case than, than that. It's too simple. I mean, it's too on the nose. It, it is a couple cool things to call out though. I, one, I enjoy how, uh, the authorian, uh, needs a universal translator for us to understand what he's saying. You know, he speaks out of these holes at the back of his hammerhead yeah. that like barely move and some sort of strange noise comes out until the translator speaks. Um, and then just the fact that there's bureaucracy on or, or failed bureaucracy <laughs> on Dude. Tatooine where Boba rolls up with it, with his, uh, his two Gamorrean guards in Fennec and says, I'm here to see the mayor. And some, some clerk <laughs> who thinks that he runs the joint is like, do you have an appointment? Yeah, it's so, and it's so droll. I mean, it's the DMV of, of, of space right now. I, um, so I would like to make a appeal. Can we please give the major domo his own stand up hour or something? He is so entertaining. I know that he's, so he's a, um, 
He is an improv specialist. He's an improv actor, yeah. He's an improv actor, but man, he eats up the scenery. He is so good. The major domo is so good. Apologies. I am so sorry. We would have we would have been here if we yet to see your litter arrive. And you could see Boba Fett is like, next person to say the word litter is getting shot. He is so yeah. tired of hearing the word litter. But Dude, the I'm major, getting tired of hearing the word litter. I, I am tired of hearing the word litter as well. But it's it's obviously a very big symbolic thing in the show thus far, because then in the very next scene, we see the twins being carried on it. But um, that whole thing is fantastic. Uh, Robert Rodriguez provided the voice of Mokshaiz. That's the second character now in the series that he's voiced. I'm sure he's going to voice like six or seven things throughout the course of the series. But um, I could hear Boba Fett pronounce that name endlessly on a loop. I just love it when he's like, Mokshaiz. Like, it's I, so- I, I can hear Tamar, Tamar Morrison just say anything. He can read yeah. the phone book. He's one of those actors. He can read the phone book and, it, and it'd be cool. Yeah. Um, but then, as you said, we do, we get the huts. So the, the, uh, Jabba the Hutt's cousins who are known only now as the twins. Um, it's a, a male hut and a female hut. Who's got a slightly pinkish hue and they are carried into the town square and Mos Espa, um, by several people, um, given their, their enormous size. I love the fact that the, the male twin, in order to keep himself cool, uses a small white rodent to uh to mop the sweat off of his head um you know there's 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 no there's no cloth it's it's like i'm gonna use a mouse no well you know yeah you know that you've made it once you have basically a rodent you know that you're that you're using to like wipe off all the all the sweat and you know props to the animators as well because the expression on the rodent's face when he's being used is basically like a a sweat towel is pretty fantastic the thing is pretty grossed out so the, the Huts confront Boba um, as Boba lays claim to, to Bib Fortuna's seat um, because the Huts believe they're in control and they've brought muscle in order to back them up. And that's who we've been talking about a bit from the beginning. So let's let's dig into uh, speaking about Black Chrysanthemum, um, a.k.a. Darth Baca. So this is a bounty hunting Wookiee. Um, apparently one of the fiercest bounty hunters in the galaxy. Yep. And while this is the first time we've ever actually seen one, uh, a, a black haired Wookiee um, on screen, this is not the first appearance of black Chrysanthemum. he's actually uh, from the comics and is, is fabled for not only his exploits as a former partner of Boba Fett, yeah. but he actually engaged in battle with Obi-Wan Kenobi during the the limbo years when obi-wan was in exile on tatooine and that big scar that runs down the left side of chrysanthemum's face came at the hands of none other than obi-wan um he had the high ground yeah well he should have he should have known it's all about the high ground um we talked about this in the galactic council what i love about these guys is when lucasfilm and kathleen kennedy so when when Disney bought Star Wars, they decanonized all of the, the comic books. They decanonized all of the literature. Dave Filoni, John Favreau, Robert Rodriguez understand that the fan, like that was really important. There was a huge fan outcry when that happened because a lot of the stuff that occurred in Legends is really great Star Wars. Like it's just and it's really- all we had. It's all we had for 30 years. Yeah. Talking about the period after Return of the Jedi. So it was it was our way of being able to continue to live those stories and we got attached to those characters. And it's so great to see those guys make a concerted effort to bring in things like uh Black Chrysanthemum, you know, they're that they're bringing in, you know, more huts. Uh if you watch the animated series, you see so many cameos, you see so many pieces of legend continue to be added to the the animated series. Grand Admiral Thrawn. They understand the biggest one of them. Yeah, I mean, they understand what the fans are clamoring for and what the fans want. Black Chrysanthemum was such a great Easter egg. And if you want, again, now you can go and read those comic books. And while the, the story of the comic book is not completely canonized, the fact that Black Chrysanthemum is now added, give those fans, it, it is, it's, an, it's a nod and a wink to those fans who grew up loving those comic books and loving those novels to say, we have not forgotten you that the people that you cheer for and the people that you like were bringing them in. But the fight that he had with Obi-Wan is pretty cool. And it's, it's, 
a story from the comic cells that you can see that he fights Obi-Wan. Um, he is, in fact, in, in the comics, he spends time as a bounty hunter. He works next to Boba Fett, which is so appropriate. Uh, he spends time in the gladiator pits. The pits of Durr, by the way, I looked that up. That was also created for the show. Those did not exist, much like the, the order of the... Um, Nightwind. Uh, uh, Nightwind did not exist. The, the death pits of Durr did not exist and were created by the creators of this show. But a lot of the stuff that was introduced is now canonizing this guy's backstory. The thing that I'm hopeful for and eagle-eyed observers who have been watching the trailers or now going back and revisiting the trailers may have noticed a dark-haired female on a hover bike pulling in like a bat out of hell into Mos Espa. Many people have now started to speculate that because Black Kersantan has been added to the story that we are going to also get his partner in crime for the majority of the comic books and in Legends, Doc Afra, who you can see in this comic cell. If that happens, hardcore fans are going to lose their minds and calls for greatest of all time are again going to be leaped upon John Favreau, Dave Filoni, and the team that continues to expand what we're calling the Mandoverse. Yeah, well, they're 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 looking to really try and connect all of the intellectual property that they have out there now. And yeah. Doc Afra, and I think Brian's talked about her before. She's like the Indiana Jones of the Star Wars galaxy. So she is out continually looking for historical objects and treasures um, in in order to be able to to, to, to capture them for. Uh, for prosperity, for the, the the long term, so they can be uh, they can be observed and protected um, and kept for good. So it'll be interesting to see if she actually does pop up into this and where that also takes her from a live action perspective. I, I just got to say that just even if he hadn't existed anywhere else, Blocker Stanton is amazing. The second he appears on screen, he is striking. He is interesting. Oh yeah, you are counting down until he. You know that he's going to have to get in there and get into fisticuffs with Boba Fett, or again, if you go into the comic, perhaps getting into fisticuffs with his old arch nemesis, Bosk the Trandoshan, um, who he had uh, apparently had a fight with in in one of the comic books. So there's still a chance, as we talked about last week, that we could start seeing. Bosk, Dengar, Forlom, and Zuckus, the you know, IG eighty eight, the Sinister Six could be here. Dude, the perhaps great, yeah. to help Boba, you know, to, perhaps to help Boba stave off an attack from the the mad Wookiee. The greatest part of a show like this is because it, anything goes. Anything goes. Um, when you're working outside of the Skywalker saga in in a in a respect, you can pull in all of these people from the tapestry that is the Star Wars canon and the Star Wars legends. Florida Fanatics has a great comment right now that she adds to it. If someone can make the Star Wars Galaxy's MMO canon again. See, these are the nice things is these guys are finding little things and Easter eggs from these various projects to pull in. The biggest one being like uh, in The Mandalorian, so many of the Easter eggs that were part of the Star Wars holiday special got pulled into canon. Well, so sure, I, but even even to, to that point about the video games, that's where the Dark Troopers came from. Yep. So you know they even within within Mando, they've been doing a whole heck of a lot to to, to pull things in. Um, but I think all of it. What's great about it is it's all still helping to build character. Yeah. You know, I think what what's what's beautiful, and I think this is a, a great natural transition, is that all of the things that are happening again, Godfather two style are being reflected in the flashbacks. And to, in this week's episode, we got a tremendous arc in terms of how Boba Fett becomes literally part of the tribe. Yeah. The Tuscan Raiders. Um, and we start to understand and see his spiritual transformation from man for hire into something more. <laughs> and I think that's, in order to get there, it's uh oh I, I I can see I can see from your face there's something you want to get into and then I'm I'm, no, I'm gonna just, hand you I'm, transition. Oh yeah, you're you, you, you're getting excited? I'm chomping at the bit because I know the transition that's coming. I'm here for yeah, it. Yeah, no, so so it's uh it's it's time for this week's Bible story with Brother Mark. Um <laughs> you know, you you know, you're not quite dressed like a youth pastor the way that uh you know Toby is in, in Spider Man. 
But um, I, I think every week, as our, our resident uh, biblical expert, um, we're going to ask you to uh, jump back into uh, jump back into mosaic biblical stories to tell Absolutely. us a bit about the twelve tribes of Israel who have been united yeah, by man. Moses and uh, where we start to get what this narrative might become from Boba Fett's journey. Absolutely. So again, last week, the, the title of the episode was Stranger in a Strange Land, which we plucked right from the Old Testament. We talked about its basis, its scriptural basis, and how it mirrored the journey that Moses has in, in the Bible in the Old Testament, and how Boba Fett and the journey that he is on, the way that he sojourns into the wilderness to find himself, how he finds himself a man at odds with the empire. He was never truly a part of the empire ethically, but then he comes to grips with that. He then goes into an exile of sorts. And while in the wilderness, he's going to undergo a transformative experience, return back to society, a changed man. Well, those, uh, those similarities continued this week. The name of the episode, again, uh, very telling of this. This again is called, you know, this is called the tribes of Tatooine. A lot of people have speculated that it could be about the various crime lords that live there, but it's more about the Tusken Raiders. And again, the, the meat of this episode centers on the, the Tusken Raiders. The story of the Tusken Raiders, their, their division on Tatooine, the fact that they are not all one unit, and that he becomes a member of this tribe. And so there is so much that, again, goes back to that mosaic story, Moses going into the desert, what Moses essentially does, he unites the 12 tribes of Israel together. Um, he becomes, in essence, this like outcast prince of Egypt. He winds up leading his people to a promised land and to a better place. And again, the, the symbolism of it is um, so much of uh, Moses centers around the rod and the staff. When he comes back to Egypt, um, he's not going to conquer Egypt with the sword. He is going to conquer Egypt with this newfound philosophy. And like they make fun of him. They poke fun of him with the, with the rod. So much of this episode and the symbolism is he doesn't have a rod and staff like Moses, but he has a very primitive weapon from the perspective of the other people in the universe. A gaffy stick is generally not seen as a very menacing weapon or one that can do damage or one, one that is even lethal. And so the symbolism and the amount of time and the craft work that went into that, I think, again, is drawing inspiration from right from Moses that he is going to accomplish this with, and, and so many people have speculated this. Let me know if I'm absolutely bonkers and nuts in the comments, but I think the way that Boba Fett accomplishes this with two Gamorians and assassin and himself is that he is going to unite these people's that are outcasts. He is going to make his way. I don't think we're done with the Tuscan Raiders by a, by a, a mile. No, he's going no. to unite the Tuscans. They are going to be his army of sorts. And this is how he's going to do it. He's going to create this new world and it's going to be a very different path than was trodden by his father. Um, lots, again, lots of symbolism straight from Exodus. And I think that, uh, you know, the Egypt iconography, again, was in full force with the litter and the, the huts almost representing the pharaohs, uh, the focus on this empire, which centers around money and corruption. It, it's playing very heavily into uh, the second episode as well. I don't think it's going to be a pure Moses trope. Like there's not there's no exodus coming. I don't think there's an exodus coming. No, but there, I, there, but there may very well be a return. I mean, it, it's yeah. it's also very, you know, it's the the Bible. Or if you want to go early two thousands, it's it's he's pulling a Sam Worthington and Avatar, and he's uniting the <laughs> uniting the clans of Pandora. Yeah, Florida um, fanatics just dropped a comment and said Lawrence of Arabia this week. Uh, absolutely, um, specifically in the second half of this episode, shots that were, um, I mean, they were point for point taken from the Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, seen where they're whether they are assaulting the train well let's let's talk Heavy about that influence. so the uh the uh, as the 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 chieftain of the the tribes calls it the long speeder um i first looked at it doing the loop and called it sand piercer 
Um, it, it, it felt immediately like the, the Snowpiercer train. Um, that is the big, the, the big existential threat to this Tuscan tribe is that there is a, uh, a speeder train that is periodically moving through their land, carrying cargo that we don't know what it is at the start, but with uh, a number Ice. of pike criminals, it turns <laughs> out that they're, they're running spice. They are spice runners. They are runners of spice like Poe Dameron. And the pikes are on board, and as the pikes roll through each time, their sharpshooters take pot shots, shooting banthas and killing sand people. And you know, one of the things that I that I think they've they've done an amazing job of through this is that they have. You mentioned at the beginning about humanizing the 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 sand people. You know, when if someone had said to you, you know, even a year ago, you're going to watch a show and you are going to root for and feel sad about the passing of a sand person, you would have been, you, I, you would have been shocked. You know, for me, I, I, I was like, how effective have they been with this storytelling that every time one of the sand people died in the assault on the, on the, the long speeder, it, it felt like a personal wound. And like, I was really attached to, they, they literally are people with no faces. The only one that, the only ones that are identifiable from each other are the chieftain, the, the lead warrior, um, who we, we've we've since learned both by really paying attention to their body movements as well as understand as well as coming to find out that the stunt person portraying the sand person is a woman, so it's it's a female elite warrior, um, and the child. You know, those are the those are the only you know. So even even with not having personal attachments to each of them, I found myself every time one of the sand people fell um, at the hands of the pikes that I was really sad. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's just an amazing joke from Walrus Carp, uh, where he says, you know what a Tuscan Raider wears for deodorant now? Old Spice. <laughs> wah, I, because we don't have the sound effects on Brian's Roadcaster. I'm going to give it a wah, 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 wah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. You had it loaded up. I even had the right had, key. That was standing. Impressive. So most impressive. most impressive. So the, the way that they actually are able to assault the long speeder got us into one of the best Easter eggs ever from yes. this episode, which is that Boba goes into town and steals five land speeders that he's going to then train the sand people to use as if he's training them to ride horses yeah. and attack the train. And where does he steal these land speeders from? He steals them from Tashi Station. Yeah. Which, of course, is where you remember Luke lied to Uncle Owen that that's where he wanted to go and get some power converters. I gotta go to Tashi Station to pick up some power converters. You can goof off with your friends later. And, in fact, his friends were there waiting for him to goof off later. So, not only is Tashi Station an Easter egg, but in the bar where Boba goes in, he beats up the, the, the biker gang, the space biker gang that we saw terrorizing people in last week's episode... Um, there are two characters in there who are getting harassed and actually into a bar fight with the, 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 the bikers. They are characters named Cami Marstrap yep. and Lay's Fixer, Fixer. Lonsener. Yep. So and in the, in the movie, Cammy we just and, got Cammy Cammy and Fixer. Fixer. Mm-hmm. So Cami and Fixer are two characters that were in a cutscene from Star Wars A New Hope. There's a cutscene at Tashi Station with Luke, Biggs, and Cammy and Fixer and Cammy and Fixer make cameos here in the book of Boba Fett. We Pretty talked amazing. about this. Yeah. We talked about this on the galactic council too. Cammy was originally written into new hope to be the love interest for Luke Skywalker on, uh, on Tatooine that there was supposed to be a dalliance between the two of them. And as often happens with films, they look at the cut and what they what they determined was the side stories and the, the scene from Tashi Station detracted from the story. It just took way too long. It it disrupted the flow of the film. And very often, a lot of these scenes just wind up on the cutting room floor. And that's what, what wound up happening. But again, these guys are fans. Like, they do deep dives. And so they resurrected and made canon Tashi Station by recreating it shot for shot from the deleted scene. They even pulled in Cammy and Fixer to still be in that bar. But dude, I felt bad. Like Cammy and Fixer never got off world. 
Well, but at least they got each other because, it's, you know, Cammy, uh, you know, Cammy would have been, she's the one that got away for Luke. You know, there's actually, there's a, um, in the novelization, I know you, how you love your novelizations in the novelization of the last Jedi, Luke apparently has flashbacks or he has dreams about Cammy and has regrets about the fact that, you know, when he left and took on the life of a Jedi and becoming a, a hero in the galaxy. Yeah. That was his know, love interest. Yeah. That was, yeah. She was, you know, to use a, a, a Superman analogy, that's his Lana Lang. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's, I, on the one hand, it's, you know, it's the couple that never left the small town and, and they're still there. But on the other hand, <laughs> you know, maybe that, you know, maybe it's a good thing, you know, Dude, you know I just have, uh, I just have John Mellicamp going through my head. Little ditty about Jack and Diane. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. They're they're hanging out, you know, behind behind the tasty freeze, sucking on a chili dog in Tashi Station. Yeah, well, and and meanwhile, Fixer's going. Thank God that guy left and grabbed up a lightsaber because Cammy mine now. Yeah, but really cool stuff again. Eagle Eye. That that was such an amazing Easter egg. You can still see that deleted scene over on Disney Plus. So it is there in the extras for A New Hope that you can watch that deleted scene from Tashi Station. Um, it really, it not only adds Cammy and Fixer to the story, but um, growing up, I always thought that like Biggs did not really get, I mean, when he died, the music swells, you can see how greatly it affects Luke, but it was lost on us somewhat well, because well, it, we didn't get that relationship. Well, and it meant even less until like most people, you know, so if there are, if there are folks of a certain younger age who are, who are watching or listening to this, they may not even remember the original cut because- no. Biggs wasn't even was even in less of the original cut than he is now. The the version that you can see now on Disney Plus and that runs everywhere is the quote unquote special edition of Star Wars. And that includes, which wasn't there before, the scene where Luke and Biggs are talking before they jump into the cockpits of their X-Wings. Yep. That scene was not in Star Wars until the mid-90s when they released the special edition. Yeah. So Biggs had even less significance in the film until then. So it's 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 cool how again this is this is continuing to add on to the lore and reinforce what what was originally there. The the best part about this scene was not just the Easter eggs and the nod to Tashi Station, the fact that Tashi Station is now officially in in the show. Were people who thought in the first episode that Boba Fett was just really off, that he was weak, he you know, the last time that you see him in the Mandalorian. He's destroying an entire legion, an entire platoon of uh, of stormtroopers, and then he gets beaded when you know beat on when he gets waylaid by um you know by the space ninjas. But this episode finally gave people, I think you can say that badass that they were looking for, and you know uh, to that end, here's what I said to people who were looking for like this in the first episode: you need somewhere for him to go. You don't want him to, there's no fun if a guy starts off as overpowered. And it's like, you know, to use an analogy, it's like Dragon Ball Z. If the heroes are super powerful in the first episode of Dragon Ball Z, then there's no season. You know, they have to go Super Saiyan. They need somewhere to grow. Boba Fett could not be whole in the first episode. He has to heal. He has to have somewhere to grow. Physically, spiritually, like... All of that has to, there has to be an arc. And so they had to present him as vulnerable. They have to continue to present him as vulnerable. And you cannot have him come into his own in the first episode or the show will be boring. So this was a little bit of a payoff for people to then see him wreck shop and to see what he's capable of again with the gaffy stick. I mean, that was a full on like Terminator Two take out the bikers in the bar. So he rolls in there with like yeah. he's, he doesn't even have his his full gaffy stick at that point. He's got oh, a he's wooden, got like yeah, he's got, he's got a got wooden like training gaffy stick. Like there's a very much like kind of a Last Samurai vibe where well, he's been, like, he's been training and fighting gaffy with with the, the female yeah. warrior. And but the bar fight, you know, again, what's great about Star Wars is this postmodern of, you know, bringing different styles together. It felt like a Star Wars fight, but it felt like a classic bar fight all the way down to one of the guys getting thrown through a pane of glass, you know, and shards going everywhere through the bar. Like it felt like it could have been like part of Roadhouse. Like you were waiting for Swayze, the bouncer to come out, (laughs) chuck everybody out. Um, So he has this great bar fight. He steals the speeders. He takes them back. And then we get treated to 
my favorite part of the episode amazing yeah and then i mean certainly my favorite part of the episode is 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 getting into the training um but then obviously the actual taking down of the long speeder and it is marvelous <laughs> as we as for those of you who can see the video but mark has uh, uh has pulled some some wonderful uh video of boba fett teaching the sand people how to use a speeder which they apparently hate technology when he brings the speeders up at first they start trying to rip it off for parts and he's like no no those are mine he teaches them to jump on there's incredible visual comedy as he teaches them how to go forward and backwards of course one of them ends up going backwards he talks about he's trying to convince them on how to do it they don't understand so he he makes the goofiest thing where he says you know you need to ride it like a bantha it's it's wonderful to see them learning how to jump from speeder bike to speeder bike until finally somebody can actually do it. Um, it's, it's, it's the most fun. I was laughing out loud and loving every second of it. So that by the time they actually go and try to take on the train, you are so invested in rooting for them. And then the action sequences in the train are just phenomenally staged. Like they're so well put together. The action is intense. The editing is intense. The use of each of the individuals who are within the, 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 the raiding party, including Boba and the female warrior. Um, I, I found myself moving from cheering to shouting when someone fell to laughing out loud when the, the, the war, the warrior woman pops up out of nowhere. Like there's just some great visual comedy. And she, she's like, yeah, she goes in and wrecks house kind she of like won the boy. day. Yeah. Oh, she's she like, like, like day. old boy style. Like she has this great tracking shot of her walking down the train, just taking out pikes until there's one who has his head popped up and then he disappears and she pops up in his place. Yeah. It's I'm, I'm doing a poor job describing something that is just so masterfully done visually. And it wasn't Rodriguez who shot the episode, you know, it's oh. another director. Hat, hats off because they, they did a fantastic job. That tracking shot was amazing. Uh, one of the things when we recorded our audio episode on Solo, one of the things that I told you I really like about Solo, I know your feelings on it. You feel like there's no stakes in it. But one of the cool things about Solo was it took a lot of risks. It did things. It took us to locations. It had, um, it had things that we had never gotten before in the Star Wars universe, specifically the train heist when they were trying to lift the, the hyper fuel, when they were trying to lift the coaxium from that car, that had never been done. The same thing that you had, a, you had a speeder chase, you had a car chase through Corellia. There were a lot of cool elements. This tracking shot, you know, even though you've had a, a, a now a train scene, this took it to a whole different level. And the way that it was shot, the way that it was filmed, you felt like that this was a major motion picture with the, the budget and the CG that went into it. And you did, you felt yourself rooting. And we, we said this to circle back. We said this a little while ago, who would have ever thought in a million years, we would be rooting for the Tuscan Raiders to successfully pillage this train and overcome the civilized people in the scene. When that Tuscan Raider smashed the speeder bike, did a jump flip onto the train as it exploded, then enters the train and wreck shop, I was audibly cheering for that moment, but she won the day. Like Boba Fett would not have won that battle if she had not intervened in that moment and essentially flanked the pikes and taken them unawares from, from behind. It was just really well done. It was really well shot. This is what made this some of the best star Wars that we have ever had. Again, you said it was not Robert Rodriguez who did it, but that scene the the flashback, interestingly enough, so many people said in the first episode how they despised and loathed the flashback sequence. This was a 50-something minute episode. The majority of that time was spent in the flashback, and the flashback was easily the most compelling part of the episode. Yeah, it was cool to see Black or Santin. It was cool to get the twins and, and the huts, and now Hutta is now thrown into it. But the action-packed part of the episode, that was the best part, was the train heist. And it has me now holding out hope that, I mean, and I said to you, I hope that we're not going to spend too much time in the flashbacks, but if we continue to get flashbacks like this, I'll take more of it. Oh yeah. I mean, well, and, the, and, and here's the thing, and you, you've, 
you're calling me out for it, so I'll, I'll go into it. I, you know, I've always had issues with this, with the stakes or lack of stakes in in solo. Yeah, I felt like which the train is ho- very I felt fair, like, very yeah, fair, I, dude. I'm not saying that to smash you. It's very fair. You oh, know, no, he's no. not going to die. Like he, no, no. But what's interesting, and here's here's why I'm bringing up the analogy is I felt like there were more stakes in this train heist than there were in the heist in solo because they did such a great job of making me care about the Tuscans. Yep. I cared more about these facelicks, characterless Tuscans than I did Rio and Val yeah. in Solo. Um, and obviously, I knew that Han and Chewie were going to be okay. So here, like, obviously, I know Boba's going to be fine, but I don't know whether any of the other Tuscans are going to make it out, but because I know that they have been downtrodden and because I know Boba cares for them, I am rooting for them. And again, like, I don't root for the LA Raiders, let alone the Tuscan Raiders. So like, well, you're a Raiders fan now, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm all in on the black and silver, or I guess they're, they're more like the beige and beige. Um, the other thing that I really loved about this scene is I loved the conductor droid. I loved the, I loved the multi-armed droid sitting at the front of the sand piercer. I trying to blow people off the roof. Uh, (laughs) Oh no, I, I, I'm waiting now. What do you call him? He is the self yeeting droid. He, when in danger, he yeeted himself out the window. Dude, so when we, he flew out the window and he sprouts, he sprouts spider legs to crawl away. It's, I was brilliant. It was like, he's, he's a total coward. I love how he keeps trying to speed up the train to blow yes. the, the, the Tuscans off the, uh, the top of the car with, with a jet blast. Yeah. Um, and then he, Boba has to jump in and try and pull the emergency brake in order to stop this. I, I, everything about it was just marvelous. And then at the end, when, when Boba has, has them defeated and they take all of the weapons and all of the spice and all of the other bits and he tells the pikes, you're going to come through here from now on, you're not going to attack these people and you're going to pay them for for safe passage. Speaking of tribute. mm -hmm. Yeah. They're, they're going to give tribute. And then he sends them packing. He tells them it's a couple miles walk to Anchorage or actually be Anchorhead You'll be there by nightfall. Go walk single file. Yeah. Um, and you'll, you'll be safe to get there because you'll be under the protection of, of the Tuscans. Yeah, walking in single file again and, um, is, a, is a nod to Star Wars lore where you know, Obi-Wan says that the Sand people walk in single file to hide, hide their numbers. Um, if you have not watched the Clone Wars and you didn't know who they are, um, because there's not, there, there really is not a lot that they come in, so you see them in Solo... But unless you knew that that was the Pikes in the Spice Mines of Kessel, you wouldn't. They weren't. It's not like in Solo they were well developed. No, so, this is the first time they. This is the first time that they ever unmask in, in a live action. That is true. So th- this is the Pike Syndicate. They are in Solo. They're the ones that are running the Spice Mines of Kessel, and they have enslaved all of the Wookies. Um, they make a lot of appearances in the animated series, not just in the Bad Batch, but in the Clone Wars. Why are they important? other than the fact that they're running spice on Tatooine. They are, again, an additional crime family. They are one of the prominent crime families in the galaxy at this time period. So now we have the Huts from Nalhutta, who are, again, laying claim to Tatooine. You have Boba Fett. You have the Pikes. We've seen, you know, again, under the direction of someone, the Order of the Nightwind. So as Mike has, I think, very appropriately, and man, props to you correctly, have assumed this is going to work out and shake out like the Godfather in that you're going to have a multitude of crime families all trying to vie for a a slice of Tatooine while Boba Fett is going to try to change and assert his dominance. I think this is very much, Mike, if I have to make a prediction, I know I'm getting ahead of ourselves to the end of the episode. This is the rise of, of Don Corleone. That's what this is. This is what you're getting. You're getting the rise of Don Corleone in creating this crime family, basically putting the pikes at bay. And can I can I say it? I know I'm I know I'm really like getting ahead of this, but can I can I talk about Crimson Dawn? Go go for it. I love okay. dive into Crimson Dawn, and then I think we would be remiss if we don't take a couple of minutes to talk about. Well, we got to do the spirit quest. quest. Yeah, we got to do the vision quest. So, um, Crimson Dawn is also from Solo. The last time that we saw Crimson Dawn was in Solo. Um, it is no longer being headed by Darth Maul. Darth Maul is dead. 
He's dead. He was by this killed. point in time. Yeah, he's been he's been dead for for well over five six years. Correct. Uh, he was dispatched Actually, at this point. Sorry. Yeah, he was killed by Obi Wan Kenobi on the on the sands of Tatooine. You have to go watch uh, Star Wars Rebels in order to get that storyline. Amazing. One of the best battles. One of the best lightsaber fights you're ever going to get. It's you so go back and hear our episode on the best lightsaber battles. We talked yeah. quite a bit about that duel. So <laughs> Mike just says, "Wait a minute, Don Corleone wasn't in the Bible. Are you sure?" <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, so he's gone. So he used to head a crime family called Crimson Dawn. Now he is dead, but there was a musical interlude. So here's your Easter egg. Go and listen to the, to the end music. You will hear eagle eyed listeners or, you know, you got to have really good hearing, not eagle eyes. I don't know why Dol- I said Dol- that. Dol- dolphin eared yeah. listeners. Yeah, uh, dolphin ears. Um, you will hear the refrain of Crimson Dawn. Their theme is inserted into the end. Why would that happen if Crimson Dawn is not coming into this? There's been so much speculation, so much. Amelia Clark has basically gone out on record and said how much she loved playing Kira. She would love to revisit the character. There is a Luke Skywalker-esque surprise potentially coming with Kira. I think, I really think that this may cue her up for her own show. That's what I'm possible. Well, I I'm, I'm all in for, for a Kira and Fennec Kung Fu battle. So there's been a lot of speculation that Crimson Dawn's going to come in and you cannot have Crimson Dawn without Kira. No, I'm, I'm, I'm all in for that. We, we talked about in our, in our preview episode for book of Boba Fett characters, we might like to see make their way in. And I, I, I'm, I'm also, I'm, I'm all here for, for Crimson Dawn. Let us know in the comments. Do you agree with Mike and I, who are all in for Crimson Dawn? Uh, Are you in for Amelia Clark becoming again, a part of the Star Wars universe? She's under contract for one more project, whether that's a movie or a show, she's under contract for one more thing, man. Yeah. So let's let's talk about where the 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 mythology extends even further in this episode, which is I I I really loved this piece because again, it just felt like something very new and different. So we talked about last episode with Space Goro bringing in a new creature. I, I think we got a new creature of sorts in this episode. In that, after they are successful in stopping the 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 train. Um, there's a, a bit of a, a celebration ceremony where the, the chieftain of the tribe explains the history of the Tuscan Raiders and that the tribes have been separated across the sands and some of them get by by killing, they do not. Um, and he, he gifts a small box to Boba Fett inside containing what looks to be a small salamander. And Boba at first is entertained by the salamander, thinks, oh, he gave me a cute pet. Thanks, what a great gift. Until the salamander leaps out of the box and up (laughs) Boba's nose. I thought I ate that. I I thought I ate that. Like, it's just gone. It's like full on up the nostrils. Yeah. And it is, it is apparently the, the, the Tuscan's version of uh smoking uh smoking it's like doing shrooms man doing shrooms doing peyote um there's there's some some serious nose candy going on with the lizard and boba hallucinates and goes on what the native americans may have called a vision quest yeah and he walks out into the desert and hallucinates and has visions of the so, the the seas of Camino, yep. which are reflective of where the water once used to be in the Dune Sea on Tatooine, mm-hmm. he sees a very large tree in the distance. Not, Two trees, not, actually, yeah, trees large are, and a small one. Yep, trees that are are, are not unlike the, the the trees that we saw in the 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 Wakandan uh, the Wakandan dream state that that the Black Panther has. Mm-hmm. Um, there are eyes of Jawas that are within the trees. The, the Jawas are watching over them. And the tree ultimately consumes Boba Fett in its arms as he is having flashbacks in between of being trapped in the tendrils and the belly of the beast in the Sarlacc. And it's a really interesting 
barrage of imagery as he's wrestling with his past, his father's fate, his own fate. Um, you know, Mark, I, you, you really got deep into this. I, was, I, I will be totally honest. The first time I watched The Vision Quest, I was a little put off by it. It felt no, a it's strange great. to me. Oh, but man, then when I watched so it again and really got into the symbolism, um, it started getting really, yeah. really interesting. So d- d- t- tell me a little bit about your your take on the Vision Quest. Okay, so uh, first first things first, again, um, the episode is, again, a love letter to the things that continue to inspire the directors and inspire Star Wars as a franchise. Uh, Frank Herbert's Dune is a precursor to George Lucas creating Star Wars. Uh, Tatooine was very much inspired by Arrakis. And much like Arrakis, we learn that Tatooine was once a planet that had water on it through the conflict and uh, through these these wars, the place was ravaged. The Tusken Raiders at one point were the indigenous people of the planet. And then because of its destruction, they learned to survive in the wilderness. They are the Fremen. Boba Fett in this episode was very much, um, he was Paul Atreides. Paul Atreides is an outsider who comes to live with the Fremen. He learns their, their wording, their, their weirding ways. He learns how to fight from them. Um, and this was the Paul Atreides, you know, pardon, pardon the, the phrase, if you will, the sleeper has awakened moment where in Dune, once Paul actualizes his potential and embraces his place within the Fremen, um, then he starts to to go on a path that is going to shape the face of Arrakis and ultimately the galaxy. That's what this was. There was a lot of symbolism in it, but it was really, it was there as a bookend to Dune. It really was paying homage and a nod to Dune. This entire episode was paying homage to Dune as a, star, as a sci-fi franchise and the heavy influence that it had on the development of Tatooine and the Tusken Raiders. Yeah. Well, and you, you talked earlier about Moses having his, his, his rod and staff. That's, that's literally what, what Boba brings back with him beside his experiences. He brings a very large branch of the tree that, that he believes that he was trapped in. Yeah. And from that branch, he is then taught how to forge his own gaffy stick. Yeah. And at the end of the episode, he has his own gaffy stick and he engages in a ceremonial dance, uh, very much haka. like the haka, yep. the you know the, the the New Zealand haka for which Tamora Morrison brought to the character. And Tamora and Morrison, he is, he is robed much as yeah. he was ro- much as he was armored by the by the the droids in the last episode in Jabba's palace. He is robed by the Tusken Raiders and given his own. It's the same the same attire that we saw him in in the Mandalorian, the black robes. Yes. Um, and he is officially part of the tribe. Um, and I, I, I loved how it ended with him being, you know, fully embraced and, and adopted by these people. So um, Tamara Morrison actually just made a comment for an article. Um, I wish that I had, you know, copied the article and, and therefore I could appropriately cite it. But he, he said it was very important to him to bring his Maori heritage, to, to basically bring his cultural heritage to the, the role of Boba Fett for this episode. So that was very much the Hakka. It was. It's not like, oh, it's very similar to. Tamora Morrison basically said, oh, no, it was. Like, it was important to me to bring those cultural elements to the show. Um, the, the transformation that he undergoes, and that's why he's wearing that, that black robe now under the, under the Mandalorian armor. He is, he is a Tuscan in, in that armor. Um, he's part of the tribe. He's no longer wearing that tan. The tan has become, be, has become black. Um, but there was so much about this scene that this scene is meant to show you that he, he's undergone that transformation. He was a man who was chasing the fortune of his father. And quite literally in that scene, he's chasing his father's ship, you know, from behind the glass. He sees again, his father's helmet fall. That's the second week that we've been provided that imagery. And what he's come to realize is if I continue to follow in my father's footsteps, I'm going to suffer the same fate. So that's why this is a sleeper has awakened moment. He is not going to follow in his father's footsteps. You know, Paul's father, the same thing. Paul's father is betrayed and killed. Paul chooses to not father in, follow in his father's footsteps as the, with House Atreides. Even though he is the head of House Atreides, he considers himself and counts himself amongst the Fremen. 
from yeah, that well, point forward. Well, I love you. You mentioned it again. Another really cool Star Wars geek out moment Easter egg is yeah. again, they, they recreate young Boba, you know, as he watches, uh, as he watches Jango Fett fly off in their ship from, from off of the dock in, uh, on Camino. And so immediately again, we're back into what it felt like in attack of the clones, just the, the incredible continuity between the comics, the animated series, the original trilogy, the prequel trilogy, it's, it's all coming together in really cool ways. And, you know, whereas I didn't necessarily feel like we were getting a lot of new world building in the first episode of this, yeah. I think there was a little bit in terms of how they were talking about the, you know, again, the socioeconomic structure of Tatooine. I think they have really rounded out and made Tatooine not just this wasteland planet, but a really rich and fertile ground for storytelling. Yeah. And so it's funny, you know, there have been people who have said, why are we on Tatooine? We're always on Tatooine. Tatooine, we just keep coming back to it. And it feels like this series is making Tatooine feel incredibly important. It's not just someplace that we keep yeah. coming back to. It is fundamentally important to the, the way that the, the Star Wars galaxy works and the way that all of our characters seemingly just come back and forth through here from, you know, the one who brings balance to his son, Luke, um, to now, ultimately, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see. Obi-Wan's going to be there. I mean, yeah, the- it, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how they take this and how it aligns with the Mandoverse and show how Tatooine may or may not have an impact on what ultimately leads to the rise of the First Order. Yeah. So, Mike, again, we try to keep these episodes, the audio episodes were always meant to be an hour. So let's let's wrap this up neatly and let me flip the script on you and play host for a second. I want to get your reaction first. Where do you think that we're going next, next week for the end of the show? Just your predictions as to what we're going to get next week. Well, I'm, I am really hopeful that we are going to get that five families Godfather moment soon and get that yeah. scene that we've seen in the trailer where the, the, the gangsters all come to the table. And I am really hopeful, and I don't know if it'll be next episode or the episode after, but I'm, I'm really keeping my fingers crossed that Boba's going to open up the space Rolodex and he's going to realize that he needs to call in for reinforcements. And I'm excited to see who else we get from the Star Wars galaxy that who potentially comes to his aid. The other thing that I'm really hopeful for, and maybe, maybe you know, uh, I'm just doing a little bit too much of what the kids would do, but I'm kind of shipping Boba Fett and the, the female warrior from yeah. the Tusken tribe. Um, I yeah, think but you don't know be, what they look like underneath there, man. No, it, we don't. But that's kind of the point, you know. <laughs> and, and you know what? I would be thrilled if we never found out. I think part of me actually would be uh, as as interested as I was actually thinking about this yesterday. Uh, you know, I'm curious what the Tuscan Raiders look like, and on the other hand, I don't feel like I ever need to know. I, yeah. I love the fact that they are they are their their faces are their masks. I love the mystery of it. So I would love if we did see that there was a relationship that formed and perhaps they have an intimate relationship, but we yeah. never actually see <laughs> any of the disrobing that you would, know would be so happen. funny if they took off the masks and it looked just like it did with the mask on. That would just be just, so funny. Just look like what? It looked like it just looked like with the mask on. So they take it off <laughs> and their faces is the same thing. It's just, yeah, exactly. It's just one, one head wrap for another. It's like one head wrap for another. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful to see how his relationship with the tribe continues and what ultimately brings him out of hiding. Cause obviously there's a point where he decides he's going to come out of hiding when he rescues Fennec. Yeah. Um, And I'm really hoping that we start to get the introduction of some of the other side characters. So uh, I'm, I'm counting down the hours until, till Wednesday morning when I can wake up and watch uh, episode three. Absolutely. If you're looking for something to watch here on YouTube as Mike and I are wrapping this, this episode of Bobby's Frickin' Podcast up, uh, our friend James from Ousters and Magic was here. He had to leave because he and his podcast partner, Jace, Chase, are uh, talking Disney right now over on their channel. So go join them if you, uh, you want to continue doing that. Um, I'm like all tapped out on Netflix, man. I checked out Cobra Kai. I'm just eagerly waiting for Wednesday. Like I cannot wait until Wednesday comes to get another episode of this show, man. I, this, is I, su- this is such a great year for Star Wars. We've got with Book of Boba Fett, Kenobi, more Bad Batch, uh, and or Mando Season 3, Ahsoka, 
it's 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 all happening. The, it's uh, all the, happening. It's all happening. So um, again, if you liked what you saw, if you liked what you heard, uh, please kindly like, subscribe, and especially share. We want to bring more people into our Star Wars community here on Babu's Frickin' Podcast. Watch on Wednesday, and then come back for Star Wars Sundays with us. We'll see you again right here next week. Until then, may the Force be with you. Always. This Diz Life Network is brought to you by Enchanting Escapes by Lori. Lori is here to help you plan your next getaway and create memories that will last a lifetime. No matter where you want to go, if that's Disney, Universal, Sandals, or another amazing destination, Lori can help you get there. Leave the details to Lori and enjoy the beauty of your destination without the hassle of the planning. Lori's services are at no additional charge. So head over to Enchanting Escapes by Lori and get a free quote while taking advantage of some of the amazing features of the website. Resort walking tours, blogs, free downloads, and Magic Maker recipe videos to keep the magic alive throughout the year. Mention promo code ThisDizLife for an extra dose of magic and start planning your dream vacation today at www.enchantingescapesbylori.com.